Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. Uh, well, I'm David Cruz. I'm here to talk about uh, beauty and mischief. And I'm Adam Blackman of Blackman Cruz, and we're here to talk about beauty and mischief, the design alchemy of Blackman Cruz. Known for your over-the-top, unique creative vision, it's been said you cater to a certain kind of client with, shall I say, dark humor. You two guys are from very different backgrounds. How did Blackman Cruz, your antique and modern furniture showroom based in Los Angeles, come to life? I think it's a very interesting story. I was um, coming from the antique world. I went to, as I was then selling in an antique market. The first day I met my business partner and my wife-to-be. About a year later, David and I found ourselves kind of thrown together in a way um, at another antique mall. It doesn't matter. but And then we opened Blackman Cruise and um, on the corner of La Cienega and Waring. It was a small shop and um, it grew. And now, it was, Yeah, it was a very organic business, actually. Yeah. It was a very organic meeting. Uh, I was doing advertising and started going to flea markets and decided that I didn't care whether people bought Coke or went to Disneyland. And I just started buying and I had another partner at the time and that didn't pan out. But also, I think it's important to say that it's not necessarily the dark humor that it's important in our... It's just we cater to people that have their own identity and their, and have courage to make their own choices. I think it's more, more to that effect. Well, on your website, blackmancruise.com, you write, we're merchants, we sell life enhancers. I'd love to hear more about that. You know, as I was getting here this morning, and I had to walk through the showroom up here at the store, um, I find ourselves very, very lucky to be doing what we're doing. Because really, that word life enhancers, it just kind of sums it up. I mean, we just look for what a lucky job to be in here in this time in Los Angeles, we cater to designers, decorators, and like David said, people with a little courage. Right? People think of us as, yes, there are some macabre things. We have these bronze skull lamps that we've been making for eons, but it's uh, maybe it's offbeat things or things that have humor or really, I always think, more original and you'll, you're, that you're most likely not going to see at other places kind of brought together. People walk through and they're like, wow. We provide a service for uh, for people that don't have time, really, that, you, you know, and, and it's there's individual choices that are not catering to trends so they're they're just basically yes and sometimes you get a little uh, morbid because that's just the way the world is but I think ultimately the service is to to provide um, uh, to provide uh, choices that are not that are not necessarily commercial so this book not only celebrates a 32-year career, but it also highlights a little history of some of your favorite decorative artists in the Blackman Cruise workshop. And Mm. bonus, you take us into your own homes. So first off, Adam and David, tell me a little bit about your own homes and where they are. And Adam, you can go first. I have a house um, on the the west side in, in an area called Crestwood Hills. It's a post and beam house, and it's by uh, A. Quincy Jones and Whitney R. Smith. And it was uh, it was a cooperative. It's very interesting. My wife is very active on, on the board, and she you really see the ins and outs. It's very interesting of this cooperative that I didn't really know about, didn't even know the area until we ended up buying a house there. 
And it's um, it's it's a very simple house. I mean, simple in that it's very simple materials, and we like it very much. You have a view of the ocean off one side, kind of through some trees, but the Getty on the other, and it's really uh, uh, up on the top of a hill. And that's so that's in the west side in Brentwood. And then we just seven years, six years ago, bought a house up, up north in Ojai, and um, we just love going there. And it's also we were looking for a, kind of an adobe style and we ended up buying <laughs> very similar to what we have already in LA another mid uh, 20th century and uh it was kind of thrown together I like to say it was thrown together in a weekend that's what it kind of seems like um like the former owner who basically built the house would find a piece of wood in the street and somehow make it into a shelf uh in the house it's kind of thrown together but we like Ohio very much it's what a, what a beautiful place and we go there as often as we can and David what about you I live in an old neighborhood, uh, called Whitley Heights. It was developed by the studios in the 20s, and then it was broken up by the freeways. But it, it is now a historical district, and uh, they can't screw it up any further. Uh, and the, the house is a 1939 uh, Paul Laszlo house, which was, he was a, a Hungarian emigrant before the war, and um, it's international style, uh, also on a hill. Just... Uh, great vibe to the house, uh, great light, great air, great. It's just a simple structure as well. And um, it's just terrific. I'm not tired of it at all. It has great view. And then uh, I grew up in Mexico and had a very sort of thorny relationship with the place. But I've come to make friends with it and very much enjoying a house there in San Miguel Allende. And it's an old house. It's probably about at least 200 years old in the center of town. Um, the place is really well kept up. It's, it's, I don't know if you know about San Miguel Allende, which is a world heritage site now. Um, beautifully preserved, no neon lights, no stop signs, a lovely place, great food. And they uh, just finished the main uh, restoration of the house and um, hope to spend more time there, too, as well. I feel like there's a story behind every single item that you sell. There is. Every item really opens up a whole world that you really didn't know existed before you saw this thing. And then when you start looking, especially when the Internet makes it so easy to find an artist, to stumble on something and go, wow. I've never heard of this guy. Wow, it's a whole world. And yeah, it really is. That's what's kind of fascinating about kind of what we do. And we're not held back, which I think is something very lucky. And this is something I think why David Cruz and I kind of chose each other, that we don't really specialize. We're not like just French 19th century. Nothing, there's anything wrong with it. But I think it's that constant, it's that drive. It's the, it's kind of, it's self-propelling. It just... And I think Los Angeles is a great environment for that kind of not, uh, for to be able not to be specialized into any you right. know aesthetic because it's you know it has everything uh, and people are new to the place most of them and there's no historical anchor really like you know New York is a much older city and LA is a new city so you can do new stuff and uh, and investigate different things. 
So when you moved into your space in 2007, you were welcomed by old booze bottles, ashtrays with cigarette butts, a few matchbooks, and memories, like the time Shaka Khan allegedly drove her Excalibur into the front of the building. What is the story behind 836 North Highland Avenue in Los Angeles? Oh, man. This was a notorious gay club. It was a notorious everything club for, I think, like 30 years. There's a scene in American Gigolo, kind of a pivotal point, like 10 minutes of the movie, where he goes to this club, Probe, and this was called Probe. I went to it a couple of times, and it was uh, in the, I guess it was in the late, well, a long time ago, I don't even want to date it. But it was it was dark and very, very happening, actually. Mischievous, yes. <laughs> and there were many clubs here for years. I mean, there was a lesbian club. There was, I mean, what was it? I, got a, I used to be able to go through all the clubs. But, you know, Dance Terrier, Paradise Ballroom, Club AD, Ritual. It was many clubs. And even over a weekend, it could be a few different clubs. Um, yeah, notorious place. And so when we got it, boy, David and I walked up to the room upstairs, which is kind of the best room in the house. And it was the VIP room. And the light was wonderful. And it's like, oh, my God, parquet floor, gothic, wood trim all around the, the place. And we thought, this is going to be a great store. And it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. So we bought the building and still people come in and remember it. And when they do, it's kind of wild because people really like it hits them. And I've seen the look in people's their faces many, many times. It's like, this was probe. It was a wild place. It's a great place to exhibit and you can create little vignettes and you can have, you know, domestic scale or you can have like this big, huge kind of ballroom thing, which was the disco space. And but there are rooms where you can create, you know, more intimate spaces. It's really a good it's a good place. You say these diverse portals into other worlds are by design and happenstance. Talk a little bit about that. It was in the book. <laughs> Who said that? We did. It's in the book. I think, well, I think, like I was talking about earlier, is you could be looking for something and you always stumble upon a, a, a completely different world. It's. It, I think it refers also to the investigation that that, that Adam was talking about. That you start, uh, you find something, and then you uh, start investigating, and then you go get lost in design, and you keep uh, you keep uh, searching for for. Uh, pieces that have that talk to other pieces and you start investigating the history of it. Like I, I bought a piece of um, Rudolf Steiner cabinet from Rudolf Steiner, but I had no idea who it was. And, and that led me to investigate all of that, of his, his, uh, his schools and his philosophy. And, you know, so it, it opens a lot of uh, worlds that are absolutely very interesting. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I think in our book, we gave a whole section to it. And I think we gave a whole section to it. And that's Carlo Bugatti Furniture. And talk about happenstance. Years ago, when we first opened the store, uh, Dave, a contact of David's in, in Mexico City knew of a collection, didn't even have it, of Carlo Bugatti Furniture. And if you look at the book, we gave a whole section to it. And it's very important stuff and um, very important. It was turn of the century and still... I think it, in a way it kind of encompasses what Blackman Cruz is, has been striving to do. You look at Bugatti furniture and you're like, I don't know if this is old. I don't know if this is new. And it was the Bugatti furniture that we stumbled upon. David stumbled upon. We ended up buying the collection and we still look for this stuff. And it, again, talking about the whole world, people are going to think, oh, Bugatti, I know that that's the car. Yeah, but that's the, that's the son. This was the father who did the furniture and his stuff is rare 
And it's really unique. I mean, every single piece, beautiful, one-of-a-kind stuff. And it's really idiosyncratic, yeah. which I think is what appeals appeals to us. The, the fact that he was kind of, he also didn't follow any rules. It was kind of, he just did his own thing. Yeah. Still, and it's a little misunderstood. I think I think people go, "Oh, that's Moorish furniture," or "That's this or that." Well, no, and it's fascinating. And his sons, by the way, one was Ettore, who became the card designer, and the other son was a uh, Rembrandt Bugatti, well, who was the sculptor whose pieces still go for it. He had a very tragic life and ended up. They euthanized the animal during World War One, and he ended up killing himself because he only did the animals, he did the animal a day. Fascinating story. Talking about a deep dive. And this stuff comes up, and it's still like considered the best sculpture of, of its kind. So fascinating family, and uh, m- many people don't know. So I'm curious about the title of the book, Beauty mm-hmm. and Mischief. Talk a little bit about that. It kind of encapsulates what we're about. You know, in a way, because we look for, obviously, aesthetics are important, but also not important enough that we can, you know, screw around with it or not be very serious about it and have humor with it. So there's a little bit of, yeah, it's a little bit of mischief, but also beauty being the important part of it. I, I think it's said it. David came up with the title and I always, I, we, I, he said it, he came out when we were having these meetings, one after the other, with about this book, and came in one morning with the title, and it was just like, oh, my God. It encapsulated, and that's it. It was, it was simple. We wanted the photo to be provocative. We wanted people to look at it and wanted to pick it up. And First of all, the raven was live. That's a that live is, raven? We, we hired a, an animal person, and the snakes are alive, and the raven was alive, and the chair is a 19th century's chair, uh, but it's upholstered in a Mennonite petticoat. That's our friends Clark and Riley. They designed that piece. But I think that kind of it's kind of the story, you know, so you get this beautiful piece, but <laughs> you upholster it with a petticoat, and it's kind of a little haphazard, but it's still very beautiful. Yeah. No, the, the photo, I think, really encapsulates beauty and mischief. I mean, the, and the design alchemy of black and Cruz is a little, um, well, I had to say something after beauty and mischief. <laughs> I think it's so interesting that you work uh, so closely together, but you have such very different tastes. So, Adam, can you just talk about a piece that's in the store right now that really spoke to you? Well, it's interesting. Oh. A, li- a little a side note. I think the spark that has kept the business kind of fresh is that David and I buy Interesting. We buy separately, but we also buy together. So we actually have three separate, we have different inventories. He has his thing. So when I say that David went to Italy or or getting in things from Mexico City or his contacts, they're, they're, they're his. And it's very interesting. So um, it, it does kind of keep it fresh. And uh, David's very competitive with me. And so I get something. He has to go back and go and find exactly the same thing somewhere else. You know, I'm lying. It's really, it's really what, what's really kept it. Fresh. And it's the, uh, so we do buy things uh, collectively. Okay, I'll tell you something. We bought a pair of crocodiles that were really, really important. And they were Frank Geary crocodiles that he did in 1983 for a restaurant that he was doing called Rebecca's Restaurant in Venice. It was a wonderful Mexican restaurant. It was a really shishi place. And he, with his friends, they did interior. He did the crocodiles. He had them designed. And they were lights that hung over the patrons. And if you look on, if you 
Google Frank Geary crocodiles, they will they will come up. They were beautifully done. Um, 21 and a half feet. The other one, the child was 17 feet long. We bought them oh, some months ago um, at auction. Lucky to get them. We are lucky to have the space. Like David said, we have the large volume. Our ceilings are like 23 and a half feet. It's a very large space, which was the original you know, dance floor. So we were able to accommodate both of these lights hanging up from the ceiling. These were important pieces. They were important Geary pieces. I think they were around there for his first commissions, actually. Absolutely. They were. They were the first time he had done animals. And he went on to do, you know, fish lamps, and which, by the way, that were... There were fish lamps in the restaurant in Rebecca's as well as an octopus lamp. Um, all They all hung from the ceiling. It was really kind of wild stuff. We had the opportunity to buy them. We stepped up. I kind of thought they would fall through the cracks. They didn't exactly. But they were huge. We got them. They hung here for a while. And they went to a, a, a Geary home in Connecticut. Where it's kind of exciting that they're going all the way across country. The guy who originally built them. Um, who worked with Geary, who still works with Geary, and he actually did these back in 83 and told us that it was the first things that Geary had done uh, animal-wise, and he's going to be working on these and they need a little touch-up, and we just recently saw those, and that's pretty cool. Now, is it like when you adopt a pet and they really want that pet to go to a good home. Is that you that you want the person who purchases the item to be the right fit or does it just not matter? Oh, a lot matters depending on the piece, I think. It was great that the crocodiles went to a Gary house. That's, you know, it's ideal. I mean, some pieces you don't care, but the pieces that you become sort of emotionally attached to, you do. I think most of the time I'm happy to let the pieces go. It is much better if they are going to a place that is right for them. But, you know, the, the fun part is getting the pieces and letting them go. It's just part of the process. You know, it's it's funny. I'll have something in my house and go, oh, I really love this and enjoy it for a while. And once I bring them to the store, once it crosses that threshold, bam, it's for sale. But, but, but David was right on. I mean, there are some things that, not, not everything, but there are some things you go, God, I hope, uh, you know, we once had this Dupre Lafon desk. It was a desk covered with leather. And you buy it for the leather because it's beautiful. And I do mean covered with leather, top, bottom. And the people who bought it wanted to change the color. And it's like, hmm. No. I, they, yeah, they wanted to. That's, you know. It's like, those people don't deserve them. Yeah. So something like that comes to mind. You know, or if someone had bought the Geary crocodiles and wanted to put them outside at their desk. You know, you go, oh. But we're merchants after all. When I think of show-stopping furniture or lighting, decorative arts, artifacts, etc., etc., I think Blackman Cruise. On page 84, I'm obsessed with the Clark Riley sofa upholstered with antique, hand-embroidered Manton D. Manila. Um, And two things. The color palette isn't something I think you'd be drawn to. It's light blue. The arms and down the side is pink. So what's the story with the sofa clark and riley are very um they're very inventive and they're they're kind of rock and roll furniture you know because they're more furniture as art as supposed right. to functional right so a lot of them you can barely you know sit on them um it's all comfortable though but it's very comfortable you know because they use a lot of old frames and they use only terrific uh, textiles and it's more more of an art piece yeah. Than, than, a, than a functional, uh, you know, object. 
I, I think they they really like pushing the envelope. And I'm looking at the picture right now. What is intentional? What's original? What's not? It's all intentional. And they use these natural fabrics and they're all antique fabrics and everything is put together like sewing a, someone into a suit. Everything is hand done. Everything is hand stitched. The fabric they use, the the dyes. I mean, it's like to the nth degree. And this is their poetry. And like David said, every piece of theirs, and I'll tell you, practically every piece of theirs has gone to uh, talk about going to good homes. I really appreciate that their pieces, you know, like, oh, and people with, you know, who want to flex their financial muscle a little bit and buy really a beautiful thing and really believe in it because we always have believed in their stuff. I mean, look at it. If that's not, you know, it's funny, like David said. Uh, a few uh, years ago, they did a whole um, series of um, antique chairs and they exposed them to the elements for you know, and several and, and throughout, I think they went to London and Hong Kong and New York and different cities. I forget quite how many they And then afterwards, they did a, uh, an exhibit of the pieces and what the time and the elements had done to them. And so it's all kind of conceptual stuff. Yeah. I love but, the well, idea well, about thinking of a piece of furniture as artwork. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of is because they give you a lot of pleasure and they're visually great. I mean, I, I, Always thought of them as that. But you could still sit on it, though, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can. But you know what? If, if you do sit on them and you use them, then you got to realize that, you know, especially that, that piece that you uh, that you mentioned, they're ephemeral, you know, so you use it and you use it till they fall apart and then you have the picture, I guess. Yeah. You have the book. Yes. You have the book, exactly. Exactly. You have the archive. Look, it existed. Then on page 52, you have a pair of mirrored 19th century brothel chairs. I've never heard of brothel chairs, and I've never seen any chairs like this. Could you describe these? Well, neither had I. I found them in London, and uh, they were just funny. I mean, there's a mischief. Um, so they were they were used in a brothel. So so the you know the courtesans would sit on them and they can you know appreciate themselves in different angles. <laughs> and they were extremely heavy chairs. They were all mirrored. It's maybe hard to see that they are mirrored on the back and on the seat. And it's not thin little. These are, I think it was at least, I want to say three quarter, but I actually think it was an inch thick glass. So these were extremely yeah, 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 no, and they, they were framed in bronze, and they were really wild, very sturdy, very, very heavy, and kind of amazing. Yeah. They probably, you know, it was probably just the one brothel. I don't know if they were, you know, mass-produced. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Were they a thing, brothel chairs, or did someone just make a couple? The proprietor probably said, you know, why don't we do this? And you know, What a great of, idea. <laughs> <that's>, yeah. <laughs> I have seen other individual mirrored chairs, not as good as these. These were really, and you know, you never find a pair. They were sold to a New Yorker. Yeah, correct. So now to my segment called Home, where I ask you to describe one memory of your childhood home. And please start by telling us where it was. And David, you can start. Well, I grew up in uh, in Chihuahua, and my parents had, my father was a modernist, so the house was kind of a mid-century uh, house, and it had those uh, glass brick walls, and uh, 
sort of had a nautical theme, though it was in the middle of the desert. So my parents also had a cabin up in the mountains in, in the high desert in, uh, in Chihuahua, and uh, that was terrific. So we would go spend the summers there. There was no media at all. There was there was one phone for the whole community, and we spent the whole summer there. And it was just glorious. And Adam? First 10 years of my life lived in Neptune, New Jersey. And I remember... Very distinctly, we would make um, go-karts and be pushed. And it was really great because the the driveways, you know, that every house looked exactly like, you know, it was, wow, what a, what a development that was. We were like the first owners, you know. And I remember being pushed through the streets by my, I've, by usually my younger brother, I guess. Um, my older brother never liked to push. Through the streets of, of Neptune, New Jersey. And uh you know, and I remember, oh, this is a good one. I remember very distinctly being pushed on a, a, a go-kart and seeing smoke in the distance. And it was, from, I knew it was the riots in Asbury Park. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Blackmancruise.com. And uh, the, and the um, Instagram is also Blackmancruise. Correct. Life Enhancers is such a fabulous description of what you've been doing for 32 years. Thanks for putting out this stunning seven-pound book. I weighed it on my scale. And thanks for coming on Decorating by the Book podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. This was a pleasure. Thanks, Susie. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only interior design book podcast, Decorating by the Book.